Hello, I'm Alex Nairaley, Head of Content and Digital Marketing at HSF, and I'm here with my colleague Tom Baker and Alex Cravero, who heads our Emerging Technology Group in the UK, US and EMEA region. We're all gathered today for the second part of our podcast, looking back on our TechQuake series, which explored the high-impact technology shaking up society and life. Having focused on the metaverse and crypto assets in our first part, this episode will zero in on the 800-pound gorilla of cutting-edge tech, artificial intelligence. Okay, so our final subject is turning to AI, which is certainly have plenty of other people talking about it, and now we're going to talk about it. And I, I suppose that's been because of the launch of ChatGPT and, and the sort of the related advances in generative AI. What's the... Apart from really happy, what, what's the sort of mood in the in the industry at the moment? So I think it's one of hope, really, that, that this new technology has come out and is offering so many opportunities to so many different people in different areas. So I think there's a lot of a lot of hope for very good outcomes. I think there's a lot of um, excitement. Um, uh, I saw the other day, I talked about the Gartner hype cycle at the beginning, I saw the other day that we're at peak hype at the moment. So Mm. I suspect that maybe this is as elated as everyone is going to get and whether this uh, podcast holds up over the next three to four months, I'm not sure. Maybe everyone becomes very sick of uh, generative artificial intelligence uh, very quickly. Don't say that. (laughs) uh, I don't know, I don't know. We'll have to see, Mm. won't we? but what I would say is that increasingly we are seeing a much more balanced and reasoned conversation starting to take place around it. And yeah. the, that excitement is one side of it. Obviously, we've seen people shouting at the other side of it, which is, as I said earlier, you know, it's going to exterminate us. And, you know, that's the other end of the spectrum. Um, but I, I am pleased to see that there is a sort of more reasoned conversation that's starting to take place in the market. And I think that's that's quite encouraging. So in terms of what these platforms can do, I mean, I don't think well, very few people doubt that these are these are pretty powerful tools. They already produce pretty startling results. But to take the sort of next step in terms of how that translates into into commercial applications or tasks that companies can can automate, whether partially or entirely, what's do you see signs of that? Yeah, or is that that's simply too early to to, to get a read on that? It's an interesting one. I think I'm always a bit cautious about answering questions around use cases at the early stages of these technologies because I think, as I said earlier, what we see typically is that everything is a use case. Mm. Um, and actually, until you really work those use cases through, you don't really know what the problems are you're going to find. You might be able to tell the legal and regulatory issues up front or yeah. law and regulation is changing and that might make it a bit difficult. Um, but you don't really know whether the business model is going to work for a period of time after yeah. really getting that into shape. You don't really know whether it's going to see the return on investment you want. You don't know whether the technical aspects are going to stand up until you get further down. So I think there's still a lot of work to do for a lot of different use cases to see whether actually things that do look promising right now really are as promising as, as they pro- promise to be. Mm. Um, but I think ultimately it is... It's an exciting. It's an exciting space. There's a lot of opportunity um, for particularly, I think, the creative industries. I think rather than taking a, um, I suppose, worried kind of look at this, I see it as an opportunity to really support industries, including law, to be honest with you, and others where 
historically, yes, we've had access to analytical AI, mm. which has been a wonderful tool. But in reality, actually, a lot of what we do is creative. It's, you know, it's, it's got to directly come out of our brain. It's got These tools are showing themselves to be able to achieve a lot more than I think any technology I've certainly seen mm. before. It. So, you know, yes, maybe someday somebody can write one of my contracts for me or maybe someday... Uh, certainly they can make my emails better or, or whatever it might be. I've seen some fantastic pieces of work being done by uh, creatives who are using this, who are actually embracing it rather than pushing it to one side. Mm. Uh, I think of the Coca-Cola Masterpiece campaign, which is a fantastic piece of, of, of creative copy. I, I've um, not seen What's that one? It's effectively a campaign which a, a Coca-Cola bottle uh, moves between um, computer-generated imagery of um, artworks um, or in the style of certain artworks, ranging mm. from very old artworks up until very modern ones. It's about a two-minute-long piece, um, and it is just a very... It's a very well-put-together thing, and it's been created using, in part, general computer graphics, as we would typically see, but then, in part, generative artificial intelligence to mm. say, you know, we want to see the Coca-Cola bottle in an image of a Warhol... Pa- in a style of a Warhol painting. Mm. Um and it's just, it's seamless, it's very attractive, it's something that I think, as far as saying um, creative copy um, generated by these tools uh, can be very impressive goes, I think it's, it really stands out to me as being something that it shows the potential of what this technology is capable of doing mm-hmm. when it's used by an organisation that clearly understands how to use it properly and is willing to embrace it. Yeah, interesting stuff. I'd like to have a look at that one. So, um, at HSF, we actually conducted a, um, some research, and we have a thousand consumers this summer looking at attitudes to, to AI, and that, from memory, revealed a consensus that the tools were, you know, very capable, and people didn't really doubt that they, they could do a lot of things, and they were going to do more things in the future. I think there was also uh, a considerable unease about about the implications of that, and you know, ethically, legally, in terms of society. What what did you make of those findings? Anything particularly leap out to you? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the thing that stood out to me, and maybe it should have been obvious to me beforehand, but I think it was the degree with which consumers are comfortable with, with AI tools being used by businesses or with themselves using AI tools in the context of various different activities they're carrying out in terms of mm. um, interacting with businesses. Um, I think what was interesting to me was we we had a question from memory that was effectively a sliding scale of uh, at one end consumers came out showing that they were comfortable actually very comfortable with artificial intelligence being used in certain certain circumstances yeah um things like if you had your netflix or your spotify um programs recommending to you films or songs you know people were pretty comfortable with artificial intelligence being used in those contexts right the other end of the spectrum though was you know, the utilization of artificial intelligence in the context of um, legal decisions mm. or decisions about your life that have a substantive impact, like whether you get a mortgage or whatever else there might mm. be. And people were really uncomfortable with that. And it's obvious, I think, when you say it out loud, yeah, that yeah. that would be the case. But I don't think I'd appreciated how many consumers truly uh, acknowledged and appreciated the difference between those two things. And actually how in those situations, I also wonder how many consumers really understood that that technology has already been used for a long time in a lot of those areas mm. that they were uncomfortable about. Yeah. Um, I suspect maybe there'd be more uproar in the market if they had. 
So what should the, if there is that lack of trust certain areas, as you say, not really surprised in that sense. But what, what could the industry, the technology industry do to, to improve that, to build that trust? So it comes back to, I think, a few different points. I think outside of the technology industry, I think the policymakers have their piece of having to get regulation through the doors quicker. Mm. You know, you look at crypto assets as a good example, as well as artificial intelligence, but we wait for a long time to see these regulations coming mm. through. And actually, even when the regulations are coming through, um, they're not necessarily entirely fit for purpose all yeah. the time. Um, you know, they're drafted with a particular viewpoint and it's, it's difficult to future proof yeah. uh, when it comes to these technologies. There are inventive steps that suddenly you kind of go, well, hang on a second, we didn't see that coming from anywhere. Yeah. Um, but even if you just look at the EU AI Act, for example, um, the difficulty that we saw there was that, you know, the council wrote the paper, mm-hmm. generative AI suddenly turned up and they had to rewrite half of the thing. And well, if that had been regulation that's come through already, that would have been a real problem for industry and from consumer as well. So. I have to keep re- rewriting it as they go. Maybe that's the know. way. Maybe that's the <laughs> way. Um, <laughs> but I do think that look, we need to accelerate the speed at which we're getting stuff through, but we need to be thinking about it holistically. We need to be future-proofing it as much as possible. Um, and I think that would be a, a significant leap forward for me, personally. I mean, well, you mentioned regulation, and I think over the last year there's been plenty of headlines of groups of scientists warned that AI can, you know, wipe out humanity. Which is unusual for technology. I mean, crypto, people complain about, or you know, some people talk about hype cycles, but they don't say, you know, the NFT is gonna is gonna destroy the world. So, presumably, one way or another, we're expecting a fairly robust regulatory response that is going to come at a global level. What's do you have any expectations of how that's going to pan out? Whether whether that will be effective or what that will look like. It'll be interesting to see. I um, The EU's positioned itself as the market leaders in this space. They've mm. committed to being the first ones to get the artificial intelligence regulation over the lines, the AI Act, for example, Product Liability Directive, and similar as well. China are also sort of doing the same thing, but they're coming at it from a different angle. I think what's going to be interesting to me is looking at the different uh, regimes that these countries are putting in place and seeing which ones work and which ones don't. So China, for example, is very much uh, regulating the technology, regulating the applications of the technology. Yeah. Europe is is doing a completely different thing. They're centralized, rules-based approach, uh, setting it out into four different categories of unacceptable risk and then different levels of risk at which different obligations will apply to you, varying levels of obligations. You compare that to the UK, for example, we're taking a much more principles-led approach. Um, yeah. You know, And I think that's going to be there's a question as to whether ours is going to be more fit for purpose and a bit more flexible perhaps than the rules-based approach of Europe Um, but at the same time is ours going to be as clear and constructive and helpful for consumers and businesses to understand their rights in absence of that that clarity of rules-based structure that sits around everything I'm just I'm not sure and to your point about global regulation I think that's that's the challenge. There is no single global regulation. There are different pockets of regulation, different countries applying policy in different ways for various different benefits. Mm. And that, I think, is going to create quite a fragmented and tricky framework for people to operate within. So presumably people are expecting it to come down to a few significant power blocks, what what the EU does and what what America does, and then I guess China's a wild card, really, in terms of... uh... Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the ones to watch are certainly Europe, um, the the UK, um, 
the US certainly as well. It would be interesting to see what China does. I've seen uh, a lot of conversation out of Australia recently, uh, numerous of the Asian countries as well. Um, so look, I think there's no right or wrong answer at the moment. I don't think anyone knows quite how it's going to play out. But I think the next two to three years is certainly going to be very interesting as we see these rules and regulations starting to come into play, mm. businesses starting to interact with different markets. Now, remember when the EU AI Act was proposed and some of the other various rules sat around it, OpenAI pushed back pretty quickly and said, well, hang on a second, this is going to be way too restrictive on us. So the question is going to be actually also how much sway do these large uh, global organizations have over policymakers yeah. to be able to influence the outcome of, of some of these decisions that they're making. Um, very interesting space, but who knows how it's going to play out. Quick, quick, I mean, we've actually spent most of the time talking about industry things, which probably shows that Tom and I used to be business journalists. But um, I mean, a quick one on the law. I mean, AI, how that meets the law, particularly intellectual property law, you know, that that's... Uh, that's going to be a thorny one. I think we've got US US writers on strike and actors on on that issue as we speak. A, a, any quick reflections on that one? Yeah, I think it's going to be one of the key the key areas of focus. I think over the coming years, data privacy is going to be another one, of course. But but the intellectual property rights aspect, we're already seeing cases uh, starting to come through the US courts, particularly. It seems to be the jurisdiction of choice for obvious reasons in mm. many senses. Um, as those play out, I think we're going to see a real impact on the look and feel of these technologies. Uh, you know, how, how do they actually operate? Uh, you know, are they able to scrape data online and, and leverage these billions and billions of data points in the mm. future? Or actually, is that going to be deemed to be infringing, particularly where it's picking up on uh, intellectual property that's owned by third parties, yeah. perhaps behind paywalls and other various things as well? Um, you know, I don't know what the outcome necessarily is going to be on these things. Uh, I think everyone's kind of got their views, but it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting few years as we start to see these things being worked through properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some some big big issues there. Alex, you've been generous with your time. Last couple of questions before we we you let we let you get onto something something else, something more productive. Um, I mean, looking at the fields that we've talked about, and to be honest, feel free to. Sort of to sort of roam wherever. What's been the sort of technological developments that have caught your eye over the last 12 months that you thought were the most exciting? And, and they may not be in any of the areas we've talked about, just, you know, maybe things that just aren't getting that much attention, but they're really catching your eye. Oh, it's a very good question. To be honest, the thing that I would, I would have said six months ago, the thing that I really think we need to be focused more on is around virtual reality, augmented reality, mm. mixed reality, that sort of stuff. Um, I think that until really Meta made its announcement about the Metaverse, there wasn't as much focus on that yeah. technology as there necessarily should be, because I think that actually is a potentially game-changing technology. Mm. And I think having seen the steps that have been made by Apple in particular in relation to, say, the Vision Pro headset and others, I think that's going to be a really interesting one. Because if we can get to a space where, much like I'm wearing glasses at the moment, mm. you know, I'm wearing just a pair of glasses and I'm able to access virtual worlds and able to access all these sorts of other things, um, almost as if it's just second nature, yeah. as if it's just part of my day-to-day life. Can you imagine going out shopping in a store? Can yeah. you, you know, there's infinite amounts of land effectively available to them for all intent and purposes. There's, you know, all sorts of different amazing technologies that I think will stem off the back of that. Mm. So I actually think probably one of the most under-recognized technologies at the moment is is definitely around the virtual reality, mixed reality side of things. 
And and how long can you keep any of the goggles on before how you go crazy? How long can you keep the goggles on? That's the biggest challenge, honestly. And I've seen some really novel things. I, I was uh, at um, uh, uh, an event recently where there was a, a new set of, um, of virtual reality goggles that had fans in them and they had mm. all sorts of different, they were much smaller than traditional ones. Um, incredible graphics as well, really yeah. phenomenal. Um, and it was a real step forwards. It yeah. made it much easier. But I was sat in a chair driving a car. It was part of a car driving experience and i don't think i was able to last for more than about 15 minutes before i had to get back up and walk away and it was great that my face was still cool because of all the fans and it was great that i didn't have the big red patches around them yeah but oh you get red but i've never actually worn one so oh no, yeah no. no no we've got a couple upstairs alex we'll um, come upstairs yeah, and we'll, get, we'll moment, get one yeah. on you um, i'll take you up on that <laughs> yeah there you go tom um i think yeah absolutely it's they are currently Big, bulky, difficult things. Mm. The graphics are not fantastic. The compute power is not enough to be able to render quickly. And the programs that they're attached to aren't always really optimized for them. Mm. Go forwards another two to three years. And as that technology starts to get, as we see with all technologies, smaller and more efficient and better and faster. I don't know. I think it's going to be a real game changer. Mm. All right. So final question. This is 100% non-scientific, but just gut hunch guesstimate finger in the air what are your big picture forecasts in technology for the decade it's a ludicrously expansive question but you know that's kind of my for brand a, dec- a decade for this decade you know, just this, what, what, wow. are, what are you um, what do you think your big your big tr- forecast what's going to happen well assuming that the uh naysayers doomsday people of the uh, the ai world are mm. incorrect we don't we're get not all, yeah we're not mm. all um part of a yeah exactly Skynet. exactly mm-hmm. part yeah, of yeah. sky that's mm. it exactly um assuming that doesn't happen mm. i would say crypto more mainstream i think it's going to become something that we use much more regularly i think we are going to see a significant step within the next decade in relation to metaverse type concepts so virtual worlds i think we will spend a lot more of our time in the office and at home on devices in virtual or mixed reality Mm. engaging with others in in new and novel ways that we probably can't even imagine right now Mm. um i don't think that there's going to be the color jobs that necessarily are coming out either i think there'll be a color of tasks and i think some jobs will be reshaped yeah but i think we'll see entire new roles jobs economies and i actually think personally i subscribe to the model that we will see more uh effort and work coming out of these inventive steps and actually less mm. as well so i think you know prepare yourself if you thought email was bad you'll be online 24 <laughs> 7 <laughs> well on that depressing depressing concluding note alex thank you for your time it's you've it, you've been great as usual and tom thanks for for being uh, my wingman on this one <laughs> no problem i think that's it for our tech great podcast have a look at it online it's great thank you <laughs> <laughs>